You're listening to Policy Room by SPRF. Hello and welcome to the first episode of SPRF's new podcast series. We all know uh, the post-COVID world, the industrial sector and especially the MSME sector, overall economic growth and employment generation has taken a hit over the last few months. Today, we'll be discussing the issue of industrial growth and industrial investments in the country and how we can, in fact, make industries atmanirbhar. Now, we have with us Mr. Ramesh Abhishek today. Mr. Ramesh Abhishek is a 1982 batch member of the Indian Administrative Service. He has been with the government in both roles within the country and abroad. He has almost four decades of experience, especially in the fields of designing and implementing public policy, large-scale reforms at national and subnational levels. Most recently, he led the team, you know, spearheaded by the Prime Minister's flagship programs related to industrial investments, such as the ease of doing business, making India, startup India. He has also developed and nurtured Invest India, which has been actually the most awarded investment promotion agency in the world. He has also worked on various other issues like immunization, literacy, and other development and welfare programs, especially in the state of Bihar. Mr. Nishib Sheikh also holds master's degrees in public administration, international politics, and business administration from the Harvard Kennedy School, the Sikkim Manipal University, and the Jawaharlal Nehru University in Delhi. He has recently joined SPRF as a senior advisor, and we are truly honored to have him on our team. Welcome to the first episode of SPRF's new podcast series, sir. Thank you, Jitendra. It's such a pleasure to be part of this podcast that to in the first of the series. And it has been a pleasure for me to join SPRF. And I look forward to working with a great team there. And I also look forward to discussing this very important subject with you today. Now, we'll start with the MSME sector, which you had a close experience with working with the, the government. This is a very important sector. I think second only to agriculture in terms of you know employment generation. It provides employment to roughly 110 million people in the country by last count. It also has a 40% share in India's total trade. It also has a sizable number of firms that add to somewhere close to 30% of the GDP. Now, what does it mean for MSMEs to be Atmanirbhasa, as the BM has coined the term? And in your view, what have been the most commonly observed constraints in the expansion and growth of this sector? Jitendra, as you rightly mentioned, MSMEs are a huge source of employment in the country. They are also a big part of our industrial growth, our exports, and value addition in the country. And uh, we have very smart entrepreneurs who really work hard and who can deliver world-class products and services. We all know that. But the MSMEs in India also face a lot of challenges. The challenges were not so obvious or they didn't matter so much until we did not have a great trade integration with the rest of the world. But now, after WTO, most of the restrictions and tariffs going down, there is a huge challenge, not only in exports, but also in the domestic market. Because whatever products they are producing, they face a lot of competition. So now we have to see what are the advantages that similar MSMEs enjoy or industries enjoy in other countries. See, in other countries, they have much easier access to capital, whether it's fixed capital or working capital. Their cost of capital is also much lower. In our case, uh, the cost of capital is very high. 
uh, mainly because of the high cost of intermediation from the lender to the borrower. This is a big disadvantage for our MSMEs and this has been spoken of. Uh, second challenge I would say is the cost of doing business overall, uh, cost of capital being one part. Our compliances are very onerous. Most of the time, the compliances are as onerous for large industries as they are for the smaller industries. So a lot of time of entrepreneurs is spent in just doing the paperwork and the compliances. Things have got slightly easier in the last few years, definitely, but still we have a long way to go because we have to save them every possible cost. A third, I would say is uh, marketing. See the marketing networks are not as developed, especially the electronic commerce for MSMEs. MSMEs should be able to sell their products all over the country through e-commerce as well as through the normal marketing channels. I think that has been a challenge. Another very critical part is the lack of the latest technologies. Our MSMEs don't always have the best technologies which are necessary to have an efficient uh, production process. And uh, other countries, they give huge subsidies for exports, which actually puts our MSMEs to great disadvantage. Skilling of labor and availability of skilled and reskilled labor, that's another very big challenge. Obviously, we need to fix these problems if we want to make them a continuing big part of the economy and uh, make sure that their contributions in terms of employment are matched by their contribution to the gross value add also in manufacturing. That's a really great informative answer. I don't really have a subsequent question to that because you've basically covered everything when it comes to what are the kind of constraints we have observed. Now, I'm going to pick up on a few general systemic constraints that industrial investments or new industries have to face in India and not necessarily restricted to the MSME sector. So issues like land acquisition, labor and environmental compliances, such issues. Among these new enterprises based on a Niti Aayog report seem to spend the highest time in acquiring land, which is 156 days, construction permits, 112 days, and uh, labor-related approvals, which is like 74 days on an average. Now, answer to that would be red tapeism at the local administration level. Now, how much of the reform question then fall on the central government and how much of it falls on the state government, sir, in this regard? See, so far as the central government is concerned, the role of central government is to basically provide for a very efficient financial sector. Now, that is a job not uh, to be done by the states, of course. So I think if we have efficient banking industries, NBFCs, where the administrative costs are uh, much lower, then they can actually lend at a much better rate. And also they need to adopt innovative lending practices. For example, depending on cash flows and not so much on fixed assets. So those are the kind of things that, that falls on the responsibility of central government. So far the environment thing is concerned, you know, central government has streamlined the environmental clearances at the central level quite a bit. You know, at one point of time, it used to take very long. Now I'm told that time taken has come down to more like, you know, 140 or 50 days, which is much lower than what it used to be. The main delays in environmental clearance, including forest clearance, are at the state level. Labor compliances are almost all at the state level. Some improvement has been made of late by providing for one single return 
under 12 or 13 labor laws. Now, central government has also uh, brought in four codes in which 48 odd labor laws have been kind of combined. There is not too much of reform there, but there is a lot of procedural reform. Substantive reforms are not too many in that because that's a much uh, more ticklish subject. So basically, most of the compliances at the entry level for the industries, for the operational level when they are working, falls on the state governments. Whether it is fact inspection under Fact Act, whether it is you know giving of permissions, construction permit by the municipal corporations, electricity connections by the uh, you know electricity distributing discoms. Similarly, all these approvals are given at the state level or sub-state level. So, a lot of these reforms which uh, where industry deal with them falls on them. Of course, if you want to exit, then the uh, insolvency and bankruptcy part again comes back to the central government, as you know. So a lot of uh, complementarities in uh, the role of central government and state government. But central government also has an important role. It may not be there under the constitution, but the central government uh, always uh, helps to facilitate the states in improvement of ease of doing business by sharing of good practices, by doing these rankings, by creating a competitive environment and generally you know, pushing them and helping them do better uh, also by sharing of common technology platforms. So the central government has a critical role, but I would think that 80% of the compliances, burden, approvals, you mentioned about delays, time taken, they fall on the state government or agencies uh, below the state government. And- in your experience, how responsive are state governments uh, you know, to these reforms? Since this uh, ease of doing business ranking started among states, that was in year 2015, we have seen enormous improvement. There have been, you know, like more than 15,000 administrative reforms, the time taken to give approvals by either construction permit or electricity or other approvals have significantly come down and the costs have also come down. But you know, this improvement has been over what used to exist prior to that. So there's still a lot of scope for improvement. One of the things that we had started when I was in the department and that is being continued is to rank states on the basis of feedback of users. Ask the private sector, ask the architects, ask the electrical inspectors, ask the lawyers, whether the reforms claimed by the states are actually working. Because when I used to go to a lot of these industry associations, they used to say, sir, you're talking about single window. But, you know, the, I, we don't find it in a single window. We don't get the approvals in time as people are claiming. So we completely switched to a feedback-based assessment. That has made also some difference. But you know, my take on this whole issue is, see, the governments have to appreciate, in general, the role of businesses in creating jobs and wealth and paying taxes, which are critical for functioning of the governments. I generally find that uh, businesses struggle and they agitate their grievances as if other stakeholders don't have much to do with it. It's the problem of businesses. I would submit, and I have said it in the past in several forums, that the problem of businesses is not that of businesses alone. It's the problem of the country. You look at what other countries are doing. They are trying to create the best conditions for their businesses by providing a good infrastructure, providing simpler tax laws, by providing with the support that is they require, whether it's legislative support or you know administrative support and so on. So if you businesses are not doing well, then who is going to suffer? Not just businesses. It is the jobs that is going to suffer. It's the taxes. It is everything is going to suffer. That kind of 
I think commitment is required from regulators. You know, it looks like as if businesses are working for themselves only. They are not. I think this appreciation needs to be widespread. It is there in bits and pieces here and there. But by and large, businesses fight a lone battle in trying to get reforms, in trying to reduce costs, in trying to get rid of archaic practices, which are mostly rent-seeking. So, I mean, that's my long answer to your short question. I will still say it's not as long. So certainly, this is a very important topic in a country where the word industry has been demonized, basically. I mean, that's what my observation is over my academic pursuits. I'm not sure if you'll agree with it. Anyway, so follow up to that would be the issue of labor and environmental compliances, even within the government, of trying to balance labor welfare and easier compliances on industries has been a challenge. And it's been met with a lot of protests also over the years. So my question is, is it even possible to maintain that balance? No, I have had extensive uh, discussions with representatives of employers and employees. My understanding is that, I mean, just think of an employer. Why would an employer try to fire workers unnecessarily? Why would uh, an employer try to not skill their workers? One can understand that that they may try to pay less than they should, but for which we have uh, various minimum wages act. They should create the right conditions in the factories so that working is safe. For that, we have the laws. So I think enforcement of the laws relating to creating uh, safe conditions of working, paying the minimum wages, definitely uh, should be rigorously implemented. There's no question about it. See, what people are looking for is that Suppose sometime many industries are seasonal in nature, you know, export oriented. Now, if they don't get export orders or if they are not doing well in a particular season for a particular reason, then they should have the flexibility to not hire those workers and again hire them later on when they have more orders and business. Now, that flexibility is given by any reasonable, let's say, regulator or a country because that's a very common sense. And I don't think that we as uh, governments have really tried to appreciate that point of view at that much. We always think that you know, employers would get rid of their workers if we give them the flexibility. I don't think so. The employers have a great stake in retaining their labor force for quite some time, very long time. You will know many people who have got their labor force for 30 years, for 20 years and much longer. They have a stake in skilling them. They have a stake in, the, in keeping them happy because they know that without them, these industries are nowhere. And they will not be, it's not going to be easy to find new people to work with. So I think that we must ensure that labor is fully protected in terms of salaries, wages, and safe conditions of working, and opportunities of skilling and reskilling. All those things are extremely important. You know, if a labor is properly skilled, that skilled person is going to find employment anywhere. The problem is that our skilling programs need to be more effective and widespread. They need to create a wider impact. You can imagine how much an unskilled person is going to earn. A skilled person is going to earn much more. So I think we should put some burden that uh, apprentices you know, need to be hired as per the law. That will provide a lot of employment in the country. And that is where we need to push the employers. But giving flexibility of hiring and firing, let's say, within a reasonable limit, 
I think is something which is quite sensible and should be done. But uh, the way the narrative of labor reforms or labor laws have uh, panned out in the last uh, 40, 50 years, any government finds it very difficult to implement this law. But I think a frank dialogue with uh, employees and employers and having these you know, trust building measures is going to bring about the right balance. See, ultimately, if our industries cannot compete with uh, industries in Vietnam and Thailand and China and other places, what are we going to do with all these archaic laws and mindset? I mean, there'll be nothing to protect our present time unless we take some right choices, we make sensible decisions to protect our competitiveness. Which is where I was heading to next. I think we ended that answer at a really crucial point. In fact, one of the long-standing issues in manufacturing is the level of cost competitiveness in India. And increasingly, you know, cost competitiveness with East Asian and Southeast Asian economies. As for the Global Manufacturing Risk Index 2020, India ranks third in terms, pretty respectable rank, but still behind China and Vietnam in terms of the cost scenario, at least overall operating costs for any industry. Now, there, we all know there's been an expected and also an ongoing flight of manufacturing units from China as industries become capital intensive there. And increasingly, industries are choosing Vietnam and even Indonesia for that matter. Now, it is high time for India to become the preferred destination for such companies. And so, in your experience, how successful has the government been over the last six years in making this a reality, making India a preferred destination? See, the cost of logistics in India is very high. You know, it's almost 14% of our GDP compared to 7% in China. These are all broad numbers. Vietnam has been a great pioneer in the last 15-20 years in attracting manufacturing industries to that country. They had done very well, by the way, in attracting a lot of agriculture plantations also earlier. So once they set their mind to it, they actually do all the things that are required to achieve that. So China before and now Vietnam and maybe some other countries, but Vietnam is a really good example of late. They have created a really good world-class infrastructure. They give a lot of predictable tax benefits to industries. You don't have to pay any tax for 20 years or 30 years in some cases. In some cases, you have to pay a very low rate that gradually goes up and so on. Now, actually, I don't think the country losing out on tax revenue when you are giving such tax relief to new industries because those industries were not there at all. So they were not paying you any tax in any case. But when the industries come, even if they don't pay you any direct tax, corporate tax, they pay a lot of indirect taxes. People who earn money through ancillaries and providing services, etc., to these industries, they pay taxes. And ultimately, these units also will pay a tax. So if you need want to match the incentives given by these countries, if you don't match the facilities that they have created, then obviously, you know, the industries also make a choice. India is a very attractive destination for large-scale manufacturing because of several reasons. One of the foremost being availability of skilled manpower. You know, people really want to come to India because the skilled manpower is very, very good. And also, we have a uh, rule of law which is not there as effective in many parts of the world where people are going. So there is a predictability in our legal enforcement, though there are delays, but still it's better than many. And also, it's a very good local market also. I mean, you know, there's a large number of people 
though the domestic market is not as large as we would like to because the overall per capita incomes are very low so i think people want to come here and uh, if we give them these similar facilities not the identical facilities so for example recently government came up with this production linked incentive scheme for electronics manufacturing that is going to bring a lot of people here but i think predictable uh, policies predictable tax regimes are very important sometimes we make changes in our regulations in our tax policies tax rates very quickly and uh, even so for example we announce a lower tax rate for new manufacturing no one knows for how long it is going to be there i don't think there is any decision that it will be there for next 10 years or 20 years which means that it can change next year so there no predictability and it's difficult to plan we want to attract uh, industries which are definitely shifting uh, from china and with lot of that shifting i don't think people in china have a great problem because they have also uh, go, gone over to the next level now so now i think we should take advantage of this uh, shift that is happening for uh, economic region for geopolitical regions by providing these matching conditions so the government is definitely working on these but i'm definitely think that predictability in policies and taxes tax rates creating good infrastructure and giving them exactly sometime the incentives have to be customized also see everybody or every industry doesn't need the same incentives i remember a case when one industry wanted to use in house uh, renewable power whereas the state government was insisting that they must buy half of their power from their discom which are all loss making and because of cross subsidy the rates are very high so obviously that multiple billion dollar investment went elsewhere so we have to if we really have that fire in us to bring all these investments in our country and create jobs and create wealth then we need to be flexible we need to be smart certainly flexibility is the keyword there and this is my last question the government as you said has already you know provided a lot of schemes to foster industrial growth especially to you know guarantee free loans interest subvention or you know, market support expert promotion concessions in electricity bills also what can the government realistically speaking do over and above what it has already done and where are things lacking on a practical level sir then the uh, the devil lies in the details and uh, everything depends on implementation it's very easy to make a law or uh, come out with a scheme but to get it properly implemented to achieve the objectives of that law or the policy or the scheme is the critical part now in many states there was a scheme that if you set up a manufacturing unit you will get uh, the refund of vat to the extent of your capital investment now when the gst came all these schemes overnight disappeared now the industry that had come out Uh, with uh, they had set up base in india or in that state obviously they were completely you know shocked by this unpredictability well, of course gst was a very uh, modern and innovative law it had to come but the fact is that large number of industries foreign and domestic both suffered because of uh, sudden disappearance of this vat refund scheme there are any number of issues at the local level relating to availability of electricity reliable electricity proper infrastructure not being harassed by you know inspectors see those issues are there it is more in some less in some but it has not disappeared so uh, what we were trying to do what the government has been trying to do in the last few years to use large scale technology for 
basically let's say customer interface or a citizen interface a business interface so that this physical contact with inspectors and bureaucracy will go away this my experience of public service that if you have a physical contact with bureaucracy to avoid corruption or to wish it away is going to be extremely difficult you just have to make sure that no objection certificates approvals are time bound or a completely personal interface and everybody has to transparently give decisions and if they have a problem they should say it online or electronically so all these issues need to be addressed and be taken to the logical conclusion just by announcing a scheme or announcing an intention or making a coin a slogan really doesn't help the entrepreneurs at the local level i think as i as you said see the businesses have been kind of demonized in this country for various reasons crony capitalism maybe for a long time and uh, our bollywood films have only shown that being rich is supposed to be bad and being poor is supposed to be very very you know it's, it's a laudable it's a kind of a dream so the culture of the country has been such that earning wealth has been a uh, kind of a bad thing if that is how it is going to be if our policies mindsets bureaucracy regulators are all going to reflect that for forever then i am afraid that we are going to lose out heavily we are only losing out to our competitors we lost out long time back to advanced countries because of colonial rule then we lost out to china korea and uh, southeast asian countries and now the smaller countries bangladesh philippines thailand lot of them are now going to uh, get ahead of us if we don't get our act together and do the things that are required to be done that's a brilliant answer let me applaud that sir, because you've covered a lot of different issues the primary issue of focusing more on implementation and not necessarily on the launch of policy which is the case in popular discourse even among policy think tanks we tend to focus more on analyzing whether a policy has been launched or not and less on how it is being implemented whether there is a monitoring mechanism that's one big issue the other issue certainly which we discussed earlier also was the mindset of people the image of industries or a businessman or an entrepreneur in the mind of a common man so i think that's a range of issues you've covered well i hope our listeners were able to understand the various perspectives that are needed to actually create successful policy and implement them to foster industrial growth in the country when it comes to msmes and small industries i hope our listeners found it valuable found it enjoyable i just want to add that by making very difficult and strict laws which are meant to target only a very few deviants what we actually do is to make a very large number of our people non compliant and then we try to act against all of them you know if you ban walking on the street then everyone who walks becomes a criminal you know so we make laws and regulations so difficult sometimes that people go into non non compliance if you look at other countries they make sensible laws which are more akin to human nature but we have a huge dose of moralizing in this country which very few people actually follow but that goes into discourse of law making and regulations so these they may not be the most uh, practical and pragmatic of policies and no one follows them but it basically makes everyone non compliant lots of them non compliant and the system struggles to bring about compliances i think we really need to change this entire mindset 
and uh, make sure that we have sensible laws, regulations, rules, processes in which people will just find it easier to do business. Otherwise, we are in this really vicious cycle of making impossible laws, very impractical policies, and non-implementable schemes, and then this whole series of non-compliances and high cost of doing business and losing out to competitors. So it's just at a broader point I wanted to bring out that uh, this entire approach needs to be relooked. I think I don't need to add anything else that sums it up. All right, that's a wrap. Hope our listeners found it valuable, found it enjoyable. Thanks a lot for being with us on the podcast sir, for the inaugural episode. We value your uh, contribution as our team member and also over the last 40 years as, as an IS officer. Thanks for joining us. Bye. Thank you, Jitendra. Thank you.